Welcome to the Declaration Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us. We pray that today's message encourages you and blesses you. If you'd like to connect with us, please visit us at declaration.org. Welcome to Declaration Church this morning. We are so glad that you are here with us. Right now, if you will, virtual high fives. Use that high five emoticon all in the comments. Say hello to somebody. Let's be interactive on those those chat threads there, whatever those things are called. Um, Give a hug to a family member sitting near you. Grab your Bible. If you're on declaration.tv, you can use um, that interactive Bible right there. If you're on Facebook Live, you're going to have to grab your Bible or you're going to have to borrow a phone nearby and and, and open it up. We're going to be in the book of Mark today. But before we go there, I just want to talk a little bit about last week. Man, um, what a great word Pastor Aaron, our campus pastor, brought last week. Um, A church defined is a church refined. And I know that sometimes refining fire might feel or sound a little scary, a little hard. Uh, but you know, sometimes those, those, those fires of sanctification is exactly what God uses to get us from glory to glory. What a great message. If you didn't hear that, check that out on the podcast. Uh, I thought it was a great word and very encouraging and timely for us. Um, as we continue today, I want to remind you of a verse that I used two weeks ago. It's kind of been an overriding theme for me as I've been praying into this series on call, you know, that we're calling A Church Defined. The book of James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 um, from the message says, Anyone who sets himself up as religious by talking a good game is self-deceived. It says the kind of religion like that is just hot air and only hot air. But real religion, the kind that passes muster before God the Father, is this. Reach out to the homeless and the loveless in their plight. Guard against corruption from a godless world. And that's where I really believe that we're in a season, we're in a time frame that God is, man, he's stripping some things away. He's shaking us. He's he's waking the church up again. He's bringing us back to life because we've we've become too um, robotic, if you will. We've become too um, dogmatic, but not not with good dogma. We've become too traditional, but not with good tradition. We've set inside a, a groove that, that honestly has allowed us to go to sleep, becoming self-absorbed, self-consumed, self-reliant, focused inward on self. And, and God is, I believe, man, he is using this moment to shake us out of that. We'll talk more about that. Um, but, but concerning this moment we find ourselves in specifically, I just want to say this. Man, God's calling us to a new and different path. Um, he, he's growing us as a people. He's growing us as a society. And also, I believe this, um, if we have the right perspective, um, he is growing us. He's growing us as a church, as his church right now. He is using this moment to grow us. I believe he's desiring us to go deeper, um, you know, to, to be more concerned with things like holiness rather than relevance, and that, that's a, it's a, a, a hard statement, but I feel like that, that even, you know, as a church planter, as, as a young church, we can quickly find ourselves caught in this trap of, of trying to be as relevant as possible. And relevance is not a bad thing, but when we co-opt holiness for relevance, that is not the church that God desires to, to see. It's not the church that he initiated, and it's not the church that I really believe God wants to use 
um, as, especially as we move into this new next season. Now, we started this series by saying a couple things. Number one, um, the, the very first week of this series, we said this, before any great transformation can take place, oftentimes it's preceded by a great interruption. And, and week after week, we, have, we, we don't even need to be reminded, we have experienced a really great interruption. But here's the truth about that. I, I think that sometimes the interruption is to get our attention. God wants to get our attention because all too often our attention, our attention can be co-opted by many, many other things, which ends up leading to um, robbing our affections from where they truly belong. Because Romans 8 tells us that, that God works all things together for good, um, I believe he can use situations just like we find ourselves in. Things like global pandemics and economic crisis. And, and he's going to use those things to shake us and to wake us and to refocus, to realign and to recalibrate us. Hence, a great interruption. Why? Because God can use this to get our attention back where it needs to be. So the test then becomes this. As this moment we find ourselves in, I think a moment of definition, a moment of transformation, but as this moment begins to transition and we begin to, to try to you know, reawaken, if you will, if we begin to try to come out of this, this quarantine life and, and begin to establish something new, something that we will eventually call normal, this transition, here's the questions. Have we given God our attention? Have we reoriented our affections to where they truly belong? Have we aligned with God's transformation? See, a couple weeks ago, we spent some time in the book of Jonah, chapter 1. And in Jonah, we asked the question, will we end up being a church like Jonah, or will we end up being a church like Jesus? My wife, in her wisdom, asked the question, who will we be when this thing is over? And that was really really more of a contemplative, like it was a personal question, you know, who, who do I want to be when this thing ends? Well, I would say that same thing to the church because I do believe that God wants to redefine some things, reorient, recalibrate, if you will, some things, especially in the church. So will we end up being a church like Jonah, disobedient, running away from God, or a church like Jesus, the kind that Jesus called us to be, commissioned us to be? So today... I want to take us to a very familiar, famous, familiar story in the scriptures from the book of Mark, chapter 6. I love this passage. And as we go to this passage, there are three words that I hope that we consider today. Those three words are this, grace, gratitude, and gospel. Grace, gratitude, and gospel. So as we talk about a church defined, and when I say that, I want you to understand more than maybe defined as more than what we haven't been in the past, more than what the world may think that we may stand against. Oftentimes I hear, you know, I don't want to just be known for what we're standing against. I want to know, I want to be known for what we're standing for. So even more than maybe what the world might think that we stand against or even more than what we actually have been in the recent past. I want to talk about how God can use this season of transformation to redefine the church, if we will allow him to, which really boils down to our submission, our obedience, our humility, our desire to be more like him. I believe it's the church that Jesus intended us and designed us to be. So with that, these three words are deeply valuable to the vision of a church defined. 
in this brave new world that awaits us after this moment, after this season, grace, gratitude, and gospel. So let me just read this passage to you. Matthew, or I'm sorry, Mark chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 30, going to verse 44. And I'm reading from the NIV right now, but it says this. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, hey, come, come, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. Let's get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But see, the many who saw them leaving recognized them, and they ran on foot from all the towns and got to that place ahead of Jesus and his disciples. Verse 34, when, when they landed, Jesus sees this large crowd, and he, he's filled with compassion for them, the scripture says. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it's late in the day, so his disciples come to him, and they say, this is a remote place, Jesus. Man, it's already pretty late. Let's send these people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages that they can buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answers them, and he says, you give them something to eat. They say to Jesus, well, that would take more than a half of year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? I mean, how many loaves do you have? Jesus says, go and see. They find out. They come back. They say, we have five loaves and we have two fish. And then Jesus directs them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gives thanks and he breaks the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Now, I know you've heard that story before. So I just want to point out just a few things um, that, that I find particularly, I think, special but before I do, let me pray for us. Father, would you empower your word? God, would you speak through me? Would you guard me from error? Would you, would you only allow us to hear the things that you desire for us to hear? And God, would, would they marinate within our hearts in such measure, God, that it changes us, that it impacts us deeply, that it speaks to us in a way that causes us to want to rise up in action in faith. And so, God, we need you today, and we thank you. And um, we just ask you to meet with us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want you to imagine this scene from the book of Mark, chapter 6. Here we have, starting in verse 30, we've got these young, and they're young. Like when Jesus called, there's there's so much to this, but when Jesus went and and as as a rabbi, when he starts to call people to follow him, most of the time rabbis would call these these younger, educated, well-to-do boys and say, follow me. I will teach you. I will be your rabbi. The thing I love about Jesus is that Jesus doesn't just, he didn't just go to the ones that you would presume that the rabbis would go after. He went to some of the least of these. I mean, he went to some misfits, young teenage boys, and he said, follow me. And, and really our disciples that we study were actually pretty young, some of them teenagers. So imagine the scene. You've got these young, um, just zealous, passionate, excited, 
followers, disciples of Jesus, that he's already calling, they're called apostles here in this passage. And they're excited. They're reporting back to Jesus all that they had just seen, all that they had just taught, all that they had just done, almost in a way like imagine when, when a kid says, hey, look at me, dad. You know, that's, that's the way I envision this passage opening. They're, they're, they're saying, hey, I want you to hear about everything that we've just experienced, everything that we've just taught and everything that we've just seen and done. And, and that's kind of what's, what's going on. They're reporting back. And, and they, you know, by this time, they've been so busy doing all of this ministry. We see in the passage, man, they hadn't even had a chance to have dinner. It's getting later. And that's where you pick up in Mark chapter 6, verse 31. And Jesus says, okay, well, come, come with me. Let's get by ourselves and let's go get to a quiet place where we can get some rest. And scripture tells us in verse 32, so they go away by themselves to a solitary place. So understanding, man, they had been busy. Man, it, it, it had been it had been a pretty intense time frame of a lot of ministry. They were pouring themselves out. They're tired at this point. And Jesus sees this. He recognizes what's going on. And he says, man, let's get away and let's rest. Let's rest. And sometimes that's really important to do, rest. And Jesus knew the value of rest. Verse 33, but it says, many who saw them leaving recognized them. And so what did they do? As Jesus and, and his guys get in the boat to go across the water, they run around on foot. They run around this body of water. And it says from all the towns, and, 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 and basically they all get ahead of where Jesus and his guys are going. They go ahead of them so that when they arrive, they're already there, basically. Obviously, at this point, Jesus' popularity had grown. He had been performing miracles. He had been performing some healings. He had been gathering crowds. And anytime. Jesus would teach, he would also touch. Let me explain. There was this mutually inclusive method to Jesus' ministry that included word and deed. And it's very important that we see that. Every time Jesus would teach something, he would do something. And, and so really today, this is the first thing that I want us to, to focus in on as a church defined, about a church defined, especially for the season that I believe is coming, which is going to be, I believe, really a season of awakening. I believe God is doing something so special and significant, even in a moment of suffering right now, seeming suffering, fear, panic. Man, God is, he's raising something up that's coming. He's, he's doing this. And so I want us to see this. Man, we have got to get back to mimicking the true ministry of Jesus. We've got to do this. Basically, listen, when we proclaim the gospel, we also need to be putting action behind our proclamation. Uh, let me say it a different way. Our declarations need to involve demonstrations again. And that could be a lot of things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, I'm, I want to read this from the New American Standard. This is what Paul says. He says, My message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Um, and, and, you know, oftentimes, I don't want to sound contrarian, but I, I spend some time talking about just religion and, and, and intellectualism in the church and things like that. I don't think there's anything bad about information and, and learning God, studying theology. Where I find that, that we have kind of missed it a bit is that we have so focused on consuming theology, consuming information, that we are information heavy and transformation light. 
And so Paul says, look, my message was not to impress you with my smarts. My message was not to impress you with my study of theology. My message, I didn't come to preach and proclaim something to you to make much of me or or to, to increase even your knowledge. I came not with persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20 from the CSB says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Listen, Jesus, when he preached the gospel, he would then validate the truth of the gospel through works of what? Power. I mean, there were so many miracles and signs and wonders that we see happening all throughout the scripture, all throughout the ministry of Jesus. He would perform these signs and wonders and healings basically as if to say, if you don't believe me because of what I say, at least believe me because of what I do. And man, I I don't want us to miss this. John chapter 10, verse 37 and 38 from the ESV. He says, if I'm not doing the works of my father, then don't believe me. He says, but if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. So with that said, let me ask a question or maybe a few questions, you know, like I do. (laughs) When did we stop believing that God could do incredible, supernatural, miraculous things? As a people, as a church, as a country, when did we stop believing in a God that could heal When did we decide that the activity of God was a theology to debate? I mean, many of us say that we believe, but do we live like we believe? See, this is what I believe. Church, I believe that that as, as the church of Jesus Christ, I mean, the church that professes Jesus, not a denomination, not a, the church that, that follows Jesus. I believe we have got to come back to this method of ministry because here's the truth of the matter. The world may not believe what we say. By and large, unfortunately, we have lost the moral or theological authority with the greater world. The world may not believe what we have to say. So guess what? We need to show them in not just what we say, but in what we do and in how we live. We need to show them not leaning in our own strength, in our own ability, in our own power, but through a demonstration of the power of the Spirit of God. We need to show them in how we live the truth of who Jesus is, a fragrant aroma of life. See, a church defined as a church that is clear about the promises, the presence, and the power of God. Man, I think that's important. Let me me just repeat that. A church defined is a church that is crystal clear about the promises, the presence, and the power of God. And she, that church, she's not afraid to trust God to be God. She's not afraid to boldly ask God to be God. She's not afraid to believe that God can do what God has done and believe that he will keep doing that. He will do it again and again because he who was, he who is, and he who is will come again. He was and is and is to come. Listen, our declarations need to involve demonstrations again in the church. We need to trust that God can and that God does and that God will and allow God to be God once again in the church. We gotta get back to that. And I really do. I believe that the season is coming and is upon us now that God is saying, man, we've got enough information 
Now it's time for transformation. And it starts with us. Let's go back to the book of Mark, verse 34. So Jesus, remember, they had been telling him everything that had happened. Jesus and his guys take off in the boat across the water. The crowd follows and they get around before they get there. And they're there when they arrive. Jesus, when he lands and he sees this large crowd, he's filled with compassion. He has compassion upon them. Basically, he sees that they're like sheep without a shepherd. He's not frustrated because the needy people came with all their needs. I mean, he's not irritated because... You know, all these people are showing up and, and these people obviously didn't have it together. They didn't look the part. They didn't act the part. He's, he's not frustrated about that. He's actually filled with compassion for them. He's filled with grace for them. He sees them and he's filled with grace. And listen, they, they may not have been wealthy. They may not have been popular and they most definitely may not have been convenient. They may have been broken. They may have been burdened. And Jesus, when he sees them, He's filled with compassion for them, with grace. He wasn't filled with frustration, but compassion. And and let us not forget, it was Jesus' idea to get away so that they could rest. Why? Because they were tired. They, They had already been ministering to so many. They had already given all that they could give. They had poured it all out. So obviously, Jesus had compassion on his disciples, but he had a plan to rest but he could not ignore the need that he saw. He couldn't do it. See, for those of us that claim to follow Jesus, for those of us who may even right now find ourselves tired and weary, we've come out of a tough season. Before this season, there was a season. Before that season, there was a season. We feel like we have poured it all out. We feel like we have sacrificed all that we can give. We are tired and we are weary even in following Jesus, some of us. For, for those of us who sometimes, man, we just want it to be easy and convenient. We, we just want to be surrounded by our people, right? We just want to rest. Listen, we need to see the way that Jesus sees. We need to function the way that Jesus functions. We need to operate that Jesus, the way that Jesus operates. And, and though we may be tired, who else is going to be called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Who else has the mandate, the mission, the the, the privilege of serving Jesus but us? And so I know we can get tired. Jesus was tired sometimes in his humanity. He saw the disciples tired. But you know what he saw more than his weariness? He saw the need of the people. And what did he do? He began to teach them. Many things. Verse 35, by this time it's getting late in the day as he's teaching and his disciples come to him and, and, and they begin to say, Jesus, this place, man, it's a remote place. And gosh, it's already really late. Why don't we send all these people, just send them away so they can go to the surrounding countrysides, they can buy themselves some food and, and they can go get themselves something to eat. And man, when I saw that passage, I thought, how many times have we done that very thing? Where, where we've, we've, we've been guilty of saying, well, gosh, man, I'm tired and it's late and it's not convenient right now. And um, I know that there's these things that need to happen. There's these people that have these needs, but someone else will do that. Let's send them away. Let's just send them. Let's let someone else will take care of that. And, and listen, the disciples had good reasons. It was late. The place they're in is remote. Um, they don't have any, they don't really have any food 
for not even themselves, let alone all of these people that are there. They had good reasons. I'm sure they had good reasons, excuses. And I'm sure that, that we find ourselves in the, in the same situation sometimes. But Jesus, what did he say in verse 37? He said, no, no, you give them something to eat. You do it. You give them something to eat. And, and this is where I believe we see our mandate, our mission right now as a church defined. We are to be filled with grace and compassion for others and moved to action as Jesus is telling us, I know you're tired. I know there's a global pandemic. I know that the economy is completely shaky. I know that you may have been furloughed. I know that you may have lost your job. I know that you may have gotten sick. I know that you're worried. But can you see all of these needs? Are you looking at all of these people around you, in your city, in your neighborhood, in your block, in your neighborhood, everywhere? And he's saying, you give them something to eat. You do it. I mean, but, but Jesus... As a church, we, we don't have the budget to meet all these needs. We don't have a building. We don't even have the school to meet in as Declaration Church. We haven't even met as a church for like seven or eight weeks now. I mean, all good reasons to write, just, just send them away. Just send them away. And look at what the disciples said. They say to him, man, if we feed them, Jesus, it's going to take like a, more than a half of years wages. Some translations say 200 denarii. It's going to take so much money. Are we to just go spend that much on bread and give it to these people? And Jesus says basically this. He says, well, what do you have? Look at it. Verse 38. He goes, how many loaves do you have? How many fish? Go and see. And they find out. They come back and they say, we've got five loaves of bread and we've got two fish. So Jesus does something. He, he directs them to get organized. He says, I'm going to have, have all these people sit in groups on the green grass. So they set them down in groups of hundreds and fifties, scripture says, taking these five loaves and these two fish in his hands. He looks up to heaven and, and he gives thanks and he breaks the loaves of bread. And man, I love this. He took what they had. Follow me now. Come on. He lifts it to heaven as if he's presenting it to God and, and he gives thanks for what they have right there in that moment. See, he wasn't full of frustration or fear for what they didn't have. He's full of faith and gratitude for what they do have. Come on, somebody. Here's the second thing I want to see with, the, with all of us today. We got to be a church defined by grace and gratitude. We've got to be a church that will put our focus not on what we don't have, but we need to be grateful for what we do have and be willing to offer it to God, to present it to God, to sacrifice it to, towards the Lord, to offer it to him, to give it to God. Maybe we're saying, but Jesus, it'll cost us too much. This could take everything we have, just these few loaves and these few fish. And look what happens next. After Jesus takes it and presents it and, and you know, thanks God for it and then breaks it. He says, he gave them all to, he, he started giving it to the disciples to distribute to the people. He also divides the two fish among them all. And then scripture says, they all ate and they were satisfied, meaning they were full. They didn't just get just enough. It says they were satisfied. Every single person in that area ate and they 
were satisfied. And then verse 43, if that's not enough, it says the disciples then pick up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And that day, the number of men, scripture says, men who had eaten, not counting women, not counting children, the number of men who had eaten were 5,000. Now, please listen to me, church. It doesn't matter what we think we have or don't have. Whatever it is that we have, filled with grace and filled with compassion and and moved by the good news of the gospel, when we present what we have to God, he will multiply it. He will use it to minister to people and to meet needs of people. And that is the posture that we need to have. God can take whatever we are thankful and willing to present to him and use it supernaturally and exponentially. He can. He can. And this is the church I believe that God is calling us to be. A church defined by grace and gratitude, but also a church defined by gospel. Let me go back and just highlight something that just hit me, actually, as we were beginning um, this message, is this. What a beautiful picture of the body of Christ. It looks like one man, but supernatural is that man. Offered to God, broken, and distributed for all who have need. Look at that gospel right there. And, and not just enough, but more than enough. Abundance. Do you see it? Do you see the beautiful picture of the gospel in this message of multiplication? In this message of mission. More than enough is the broken body of Christ for all who have need and who, all who are, are hungry. It's the church I believe God's calling us to be a church that is defined by grace and gratitude and gospel. See, we we need to be about declaration and demonstration. Not just about information, transformation, giving God the space, giving God the real estate, trusting and believing God in faith that he is God. He can be God. He will be God. He has been God. He will be God again. He has never left us. He has never forsaken us. He is always there, faithful, being who he is, God, and trusting that. See, I believe that God is giving us definition and inviting us, or better, and he is calling us into a new season that will be defined not by what we don't have or have, but by what we are willing to offer to God so that he can use us. And let's be a church defined by compassion. Let's be a church defined by taking even the little that we have and saying, God, we can never outgive you. God, use whatever we have supernaturally, exponentially, multiply what we have. God, we are your ministers on mission. Use us as you will. May we be a church defined by grace. May we be a church defined by gratitude. May we be a church moved by and defined by the gospel. And in all that, man, I pray that we are a church defined by love. You know, as a church that was about uh, one and a half years old when Harvey hit, um, we often talk about Harvey. It's probably the best picture that I can remember of seeing how God can take very little and multiply it to make such a huge impact. We were a smaller church plant, you know, barely barely, uh, crawling, if you will, as a toddler church, and and we didn't have a big budget, and... um, All we did is we saw the need, and I feel like that here we are, a church of about 250 at the time that was just full of compassion, seeing the need, um, full of brokenness and making ourselves available. 
and, and we saw a warehouse that was donated to us, 12,000 square feet, actually 11,997. I, I know that number. That's how big that warehouse was. And it was donated to us for use, how long, however long we needed it. And, and we didn't have a budget to go buy supplies. We didn't even really know what supplies were needed. But all of a sudden, we started putting it out there that, man, we wanted to help people. And to make a very long story short, over the next 11 days, to watch that warehouse fill up and empty multiple times a day, 18-wheelers delivering goods from all over the nation to that warehouse and us loading that onto trucks and trailers and sending it up and down the coastline to help many families and many people and many churches and many cities. What a privilege to be a part of that, to, to partner up with so many other local churches right here in the area and in other churches all throughout the great city of Houston, which my pastor Jeff praise that one day will be known as a city of God. And, and man, that is the first time that I've ever seen um, that expression really begin to come to life. And what a cool moment to see a, a little church plant combined with other churches and, and just take the, the, the loaves and the fish that they have and present it to God and say, God, would you use it? Would you, would you use it supernaturally? Would you use it exponentially? And then to see how many needs that God could meet in that 11-day window. And not only that, but to watch the church full of compassion unite around loving people. Man, at that point, we weren't worried about information. We were worried about transformation. We were worried about meeting the needs. We were worried about making sure that the gospel was made known in demonstration and not just information, not just proclamation. And man, I just want to say, I just want to remind us, you know, I know that we're broadcasting right now and and man, we, we love that wherever you're joining us from, all over this nation or wherever, um, man, I just want to speak right now to the heart of the city that I am privileged to pastor and the heart of the church that I'm privileged to pastor. And I just want to say, man, God is calling us. He is redefining us right now. He is, he is bringing on a transformation in us that, that I know that he wants to use. He wants to do something so amazing through us, something that, that we look back at Harvey and we think, man, that was so amazing, but it can never compare to what God is about to do. Or, or, or we'll look back one day and say, man, it, it, it was just step one of something so exponentially, supernaturally greater of a move that we saw God do that we got to be a part of. And so see, listen to me. A church defined is a church defined by grace and gratitude and gospel. And it's time that we get outside of ourselves, outside of our, our worry and our fear and our panic and our news cycle and and, and all of these things that occupy our, our attention and that are robbing our affections from placing them where they belong on God and get our hearts realigned and refocused that we might be filled with compassion and grace, that we might be a grateful people, not for what we've lost, not for what we don't have, but for what God has given to us that we can offer back and that we might be moved by the gospel, that we would be a mission, a mission uh, a ministerial mission that is that is just that sees the need and is willing to to run towards it to meet it to love um, for the sake of others and for the glory of God oh, amen let me pray for us Father thank you for the privilege and the call that you've placed upon us and inside of us and God I pray that you would awaken us um that, that, that this season of shaking would, would be so much about sanctification and not just suffering for some of us. 
And God, that, that on the flip side of this moment, you would see a church rise up and awaken in such a powerful way that it would literally not just change this city, but it would change the world. God, would you use Declaration Church in that way? That we would be a church of declaration and demonstration. I pray blessing and favor over each family right now. God, for every family that will watch this past this moment, God, I pray that, that this message would, would just spread out. And God, that you would use it, anoint it. And Father, it would call us and awaken us um, with great mandate to live on mission, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, before you go, I just want to thank you for being a part of today with us. And, and I just want to explain to you just really briefly, man, the best commitment you can ever make that will literally change your life, the life of your family or your future family, and literally generations of your family line forever is a commitment to Jesus Christ. Man, you know, God so loved the world in John 3.16, it says, that he gave his only son, Jesus, for you to die in your place so that you can have everlasting, abundant, full life. And if you have found yourself in a place where you know that you have a need and that need is not being satisfied in anything else that you have tried, I'm telling you, the only place that you're ever going to find joy, life, love, peace, and true satisfaction is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not religion, not joining a church. Those are great byproducts, but really in a relationship with Jesus. The Bible says, call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And so this morning, whether you're on Facebook Live or you're watching from Declaration TV, we would love for you to get into that, that comment section, that chat area, and say, would you pray for me? I need Jesus. If you're on Declaration.tv, you can just click a button that says raise a hand. We have people standing by on every platform waiting to pray with you and, and hopefully maybe give a little bit more clarity to this life-changing, life-giving relationship found only in Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life, the meaning, the method, and the message. And today, man, I pray that that message of Jesus has encouraged you deeply. Until we see each other again, or hopefully in person one day soon, man, blessings. We love you, and we're praying for you.